so this is a special uh, morning or and or evening edition of uh, Note Up, depending on where in the world you are. We're here with myself, Isaac Schluter, and uh, Substack, and Dominic Tarr, and uh, Matt Rainey of Voxer. Yes, that's me. So Voxer's been in in the news or the internet lately, I guess. Um, yeah, it's all over the internet. Yeah, so do you want to just describe really briefly what is a Voxer? <laughs> sure. Um, so it's, uh, it's a voice messaging application. I mean, it's kind of like a walkie-talkie plus voicemail, I guess, or sort of like a modern-day walkie-talkie. You know, like the push-to-talk uh, radio is kind of fun thing. You know, it's in some situations, but like sort of doesn't really work very well in this modern world of like text messages. And so we kind of like switched it around a little bit so you can be live or it can like be a message and you sort of don't have to pick. So anyway, it's a thing that people can, you know, talk to each other on and send text messages on. It uses a mobile phone data or, you know, Wi-Fi. So it runs on iOS and Android at the moment. And uh, a lot of people seem to like it. Cool. So why, why does this matter for Node? What's, uh, I remember, I mean, the the first time I met you was like you were talking about something, something with Couch and kind of a, a, another guy into this whole new Node thing. And uh, what, is, what does Voxer do with Node? Well, we uh, have written our entire backend system out of Node. So there are, unlike, unlike Skype, like we're talking over right now, which is a, a you know, totally peer-to-peer system, they uh, Voxer has a bunch of servers that you know handle and record and process and forward and retrieve your audio, and so all of those servers on the back end are written in Node. So we've got um, a lot of them um, processing you know live voice um, to you know to and from uh, mobile phones and to and from uh, uh, databases and disk drives and such, and. Um, yeah, we're we are. I don't know if if it's fair to say that we're the the biggest uh, deployment of Node, but because whatever big means, but it's um we're definitely handling a lot of users. Perhaps perhaps a surprising amount of users and traffic and processes. And so it's it's perhaps one of the uh, like why, why does this matter for Node? It's, it's it seems to me like the first big commercial deployment, like the first big application that that sort of proves that you can do a real big internet thing with Node. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's really really exciting. Um, people people like to ask a lot whether or not Node can scale, and my my answer usually has just been, well, like, you know. Matt Ranney is going to make it scale for Voxer, and if it can't scale, he'll find out way before you do. So don't worry about it. <laughs> right, thanks. I'll, I'll take care of it for you, entire world. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, everybody has, like, all these nerd fights about, like, oh, does this scale? This is scalable, like, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's funny because, like, man, like, even things that scale don't really scale automatically it's not like you can right. just click a button and then like this thing magically gets bigger like you always have to do some work i mean even if it's like sticking more web servers behind a load balancer uh, all these things like i mean 
you have to build up a bunch of pieces that glue together your application logic, the p- all of the parts that make it go, and whatever unit of scaling you have. And so it's just a, it's kind of a funny conversation to say like, oh, you should use something with threads or whatever because like that's more scalable. Um, the approach that we took was that eventually, you know, even if we did it multi-threaded, eventually we are going to run out of CPU cores on one machine. So we're going to have to come up with a scheme to make it work across CPU cores on other machines. So we might as well just use the same mechanism to talk to another processor on the same machine as any machine. And that was a little bit controversial uh, among a lot of people, but we did it anyway. And we didn't really ever have to prove ourselves until somewhat recently uh, when we got really popular really quickly. And it turns out I was right. Uh, it turns out you can do that. You can actually add more computers and processors, machines of different sizes, if that's what you want to do. Like, uh, And it, it works out really well. Like, you can Once you figure out how to abstract away one processor on any machine, then you can add multi-core machines uh, all day long. So when you say like uh, talk to another processor the same way that you talk to another machine, what does that mean exactly? Oh, that means um, in our case, it means you talk, you send some JSON over HTTP, and you probably get some JSON back. <clears throat> so that is our protocol uh, for everything that we do, uh, including talk to the database because we use a database that lets you talk to it with JSON over HTTP. So. Um, just about everything. The only exception to this, I realize, is Redis, um, which has its own uh, fun protocol. But um, yeah, I mean, we all of the node processes in our in our system use uh, HTTP and and JSON over HTTP, and we talk to the mobile phone clients with HTTPS, like JSON over HTTPS. So that is that is the language that that everything talks, and and that is what Node is good at. You can do JSON over HTTP and Node effortlessly, um, which which is great. So there's there's two things that I think are obvious uh, reasons why you can't scale that. Um, the the first, and I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but the the first being that um, you know JSON is is kind of big, right? You need you need like some uh, more like less lossy format. Or not lossy, but um, more know, efficient. Less, yeah, more efficient. Yeah, yeah. Like or, like a binary protocol, and you got all those HTTP sure. headers, and like, doesn't that yeah. <laughs> make your stuff a lot bigger? Um, yes, <laughs> it does make it a lot bigger, um, and it makes it probably slower, and it makes it probably a lot of bad things. But you know, like everything in uh, in engineering, uh, it's a trade off. And the, the trade-off with doing uh, JSON and doing HTTP as opposed to like protocol buffers or you know some kind of thrift or something you know some efficient other way of encoding data on a wire is that you can work with it so easily. Like you can just look at it on your screen going by and in a packet capture tool or in a log file somewhere, or you can just craft messages at the keyboard by hand in curl. You can just do curl dash D some JSON and just you can type JSON strings with you know with your printable Latin character keys that are you know keys on your keyboard. So like this is really handy. And you think you might think that, oh, especially at scale, this is especially bad. 
You know, like that's a thing you should maybe do when you're getting your system working. But at scale, like all of this overhead, like it's all magnified and like it just gets extra bad. Um, I have a different experience, which is that at scale, it's extra good because the problems, the problems that you run into at production loads are, at least in our case, where, where we were sort of caught by surprise by it, are so much crazier than when you can deal with it in a more controlled fashion that like you need all the help you can get. And it's way easier to just buy a little bit more CPU time than it is to spend days and days trying to track down some weird mysterious bug that would have been a lot more obvious if everything was human readable. So Yeah, I can I can totally second that. I mean at my startup Brazilian thing, we actually push um uh frame buffer updates, like raw PNG data in a JSON encoded Dnode packet. So and and the crazy thing about that is the the bottleneck is pretty much always on the remote end. Like just the the transport layer is way more of an issue than, you know, the the actual encoding or anything by far. Yeah, I mean we we found of course where where we're we're amplifying, you know, the the effects of all this like millions of clients are all you know coming into the same you know data center and they're all trying to do some stuff we've definitely found in profiling that our biggest overhead is json parse like that's the thing we our servers spend most of their time doing as i mean apart from like you know forwarding bytes from one socket to another um, forwarding bytes from one socket to another is actually what they spend most of their time doing but i figure you can't really do anything about that that's like the actual work that they're doing um, the the sort of overhead though is kind of Jason Parse. I'm like I, I guess that's bad, but not as bad as uh, having a system that's really hard to work on. And you know this, the the interesting thing, the interesting thing about about HTTP is that Node is really really good at, at HTTP, and like it kind of cancels out that performance. Uh, uh, that performance hit of all those extra bytes and stuff. I mean, yeah, okay, there are maybe a few more bytes on the wire, but the the CPU time to for Node to parse uh, HTTP is negligible. Hmm. So that was actually my the the second concern that uh, the second reason why you can't scale that, um, which I've I've been told regarding um, JSON over HTTP, which is that like, you know, you you need some kind of consist persistent connection so that you can push stuff down. I mean, are are you guys doing any kind of web sockety TCP? two-way pushing stuff? Uh, we use HTTPS, and so we just stream a, a chunked response, and, you know, we do chunked uploads. Like so, a standard comment kind of kind of deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all, it's HTTP and HTTPS um, everywhere you look. The, um, yeah, I mean, it is, this, is, this is sort of like a, another kind of controversial uh, thing that, um, that, that, uh, that I battled with for a while, which is like you can't actually do live voice uh, over TCP and like let alone over HTTP. Like, are you insane? Like, you obviously need some kind of, you know, clever UDP packet loss tolerant, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just think on modern mobile data networks, like if you're going over the, the data channel on your mobile phone, like it turns out the data channel does air interface retransmission and TCP is fine. And once you're doing TCP, like, man, it's really a pain in the ass to work with TCP. Like, you kind of end up inventing some kind of, like, message framing protocol. And, like, HTTP already does that. So why not just use that? And then you can use, you know, the whole kind of 
infrastructure, the commercial infrastructure of the web, which already builds all kinds of things to work with HTTP. There are load balancers and SSL accelerators and you know all of these different things that you can buy that talk HTTP and you know caching HTTP proxies and all of this great stuff. And so like it's just a it's just uh, I don't know. It's obviously a trade-off. It is more bits on the wire. Um, but I think like the the ease of of scaling and working with a system like this uh, outweighs the the little bit of uh, network efficiency. And so, ooh. it seems to me that uh, you. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Dominic. That you only really get a, a linear, um, like a, a you'd only get a, a linear improvement. By yeah, using I mean, a binary format, and um, third. Uh, the far more important thing is the the architecture of your application, that whether or not it makes it scalable. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's a it's a small factor, but it it doesn't affect whether it's scalable or not. It's it's sort of uh, it's it's a, it's a little misleading to say that like oh it's I mean you could just say oh it's a you know JavaScript therefore it's not scalable, you know like it's it's like those are all things that have some performance consequences and some trade-off with you know development and operational uh, convenience for runtime performance, but it, it really has nothing to do with whether it's scalable or not. So um, I just want to interject here. I yeah, know that uh, uh, Substack and I are uh, uh, James and I are kind of regulars here, but um, and we we all wanted to kind of rush in and hear about Voxer um, doing stuff. But uh, I was kind of remiss in introducing our other host here, Dominic Tarr. Uh, Dominic, you want to say a little bit about what you've been up to or what you do with Node? Oh, I've just been working on a mad science project for the last uh, two years, but I've decided it was a little bit too mad, and I'm changing to a new, simpler project that's going to be a. It's going to be like um, a gift-giving platform. For um, like small like monetary values, kind of like a uh, um, PayPal. Just for uh, I think I'm getting a bit. Yeah, I think we're I think we're losing Dominic. Oh, internet fail. <laughs> See, this is why you need JSON over HTTP. It would have been much more reliable. It, you know, it's funny, but this exact scenario was the problem that I was originally trying to solve with with Voxer, which is trying to do live voice over the best effort internet. Like, doesn't always work. The uh, internet is best effort, and sometimes its effort's not good enough. And so, like, what can you do to still be able to communicate? And the answer is record it all and add some amount of delay. And like hmm. you can catch back up, <laughs> but it turned out to be uh, too hard to manage truly, like you know, full duplex, you know, multi, you know, multi-way voice interactions. Um, it just gets kind of confusing. But anyway, yeah, voice over the internet usually works. Hmm. So uh, you mentioned that it was kind of unexpected that you needed to figure out how to scale this puppy um what what happened exactly i mean weren't you like out there trying to get it like 
weren't you sort of seeking out scaling problems? I mean, isn't that sort of what startups try to do? Oh, yeah. We, we made software, but not that many people wanted to use it for a while. And then for some reason, um, people wanted to use our software. Uh, we, I think partly we, we made some, some major improvements to our Android version and a lot of people seem to really like the Android version. And, um, yeah, like it, it just took off like basically the, you know, over the last few weeks, um, it's just been, uh, all of the sudden very, very popular. And so I, I don't actually know what, you know, pushed it over the edge, but now people seem to like it, whereas before they were sort of, meh, this is fine, I guess. Some people liked it, but like it wasn't like this crazy you know, uh, scaling problem. It was a very easy scaling problem. Like You could sit, sit back and think about it, and it, the growth was like slow and you know, methodical, and it was no problem at all. And now it's like all crazy. As I recall, you guys were using uh, Twisted briefly at the beginning. Is that correct? Uh, that is a, a common misconception, but we were using Python. Okay. Um, we we had written our our um, we'd written our server using just the bare uh, Python epoll bindings. Um, it's been a while since I thought about how that worked. But I used to be really into Python. I mean, I still think Python is great. But um, the uh, the the Python virtual machine, the Python runtime, whatever you call it, is uh, it's really slow. And uh, I know that there are ways that you could uh, try to speed it up, you know, and compile it or whatever. And there are a number of awesome projects that try to do that. But it seemed like not a really a primary concern by most of the people who were in, you know, making Python Go. And if you look at what Node is up to, like that is a very top level concern is how fast does it go? And I also really like JavaScript and the fact that it was, you know, kind of hooking up with V8 and like, hey, you know, Google's obviously going to keep making V8 faster because they're in a browser performance war. So that's a good team to be on. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like it was it was a natural fit. It's pretty crazy, though, that you were getting um, scaling problems with Python before you actually had to scale it, it seems. Well, it's not scaling problems. I mean, the architecture was the same. It was just oh, too okay. slow. It was too slow. Okay. I mean, it was it was between four and ten times slower um, to do that to do this in Python using you know you doing it like the efficient way, like using using epoll and and you know being being very kind of you know performance conscious about how we were doing it. Uh, it's just we. You know, doing live voice, you get woken up, you know, 20 times, 50 times a second, depending on the packetization interval. And Python just did not like that at all. And, you know, Node in, in its early days, like, it's, I mean, it's gotten so much faster. This was on, like, Node 02 that we wrote the first version. And it's gotten so much faster since then. But even then, it was four, you know, between four and ten times faster than Python. So it was just, the, the multiplier was too big to ignore. So and plus, it just it seemed like you know it was on the right track. Like it was concerned about performance and that the performance would only get better, and that turns out to have been the case. Cool. And so um, Dominic is saying here on Skype chat, since he's cut off the voice, that um, like what what kind of archit what what does your architecture look like? I guess you mentioned you've got you know HTTP balancers and things, and it's all HTTP. But like, how yeah. is that how is that HTTP topology sort of laid out 
Well, let's see. It's of course easier to do this uh, to like draw a picture or whatever, but let's see if I can uh, uh, use my words to craft a mental image. Um, I said load balancers before, but that's a thing we actually don't use any load balancers. Um, the clients, since it's all at the moment, it's all native code clients, and uh, they know how to find all of the servers in the um, in the cluster. So they. Um, you know they 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 find they find themselves a, a server from some you know DNS load balancer or just you know a random DNS response and they um, they join this they sort of join the network by uh, this outer layer of processes we call routers which are arranged in a in a gigantic consistent hash ring and so all of these processes um, know about all the other processes. And they can figure out how to sort of route uh, messages amongst the users between this huge cloud of processes. And that's kind of like this outer layer, this like external connection handling layer. And then there are a number of other layers inside of there that do different things. Um, you know, they, they talk to the database or they deal with push notifications or they, um, they, they sort of read and write the, the media bodies. And... Um, Though all of those are also all arranged in uh, a big consistent hash sort of cloud or ring, if you like, and they the different layers know how to get to the uh, both they know how to route sort of within their own layer using the, um, the 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 consistent hash, and they also know how to get to the other layers somehow. Um, they don't have knowledge of the other layers like hash ring state, but they know some way to get into the to get from layer to layer, and they so it's effectively like each process has a little bit of a load balancer in it. So I was really trying to build a system that had no single point of failure, and so you know yeah I know you can get like load balancers in pairs and virtual IP addresses and blah blah blah, but uh, especially when we were small, it was it was really uh, it was kind of crazy to uh, get one, a thing like that. And I really wanted no single point of failure. So, uh, so we don't have one. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So I don't know, does that make sense? Like a bunch of hash rings and within they know how to talk to each other and then the rings know how to talk over, yeah, I mean, you know, ring to ring. Sort of like how routers work on the internet, I think. Um, but how do you, I guess, how, how do you manage kind of um, bringing up new instances of your code base when everything has to, you know, talk to everything else and has to be on the same page, kind of. I know that's a big problem in a lot of yeah. organizations. Yeah, how do you deploy a change to that? It is um, a challenge that we are actively grappling with. Um, the solution for doing it at a smaller scale is, you know, not as elegant as it's sort of suboptimal perhaps as uh, at larger scale the the way we do it though is we have um, well so I mean we you know we push the code out like you know we, we you can look after you have to restart these processes right they're no, they're single threaded node programs you know so they have to you know when they restart they have to uh, you know that's that's how you pick up new code so we push out some we push out the code and we'll try it on you know one you know, canary process, like just to make sure that this isn't going to be a total disaster. And if that one works, then we slowly roll through all the other nodes in the in the ring and restart them. And the 
because all of the nodes have this load balancer logic in them, there is also retry logic. So if uh, if a transaction, you know, some some sort of operation is in progress, you know, some you know some JSON over HTTP deal, and if the connection gets dropped in the middle of the thing, you know, because the remote end uh, shut down or crashed or whatever, uh, we'll just try another node in the ring. That's the part part of the load balancer functionality. So we did that. Not we like it wasn't my intention that we would use it for that. It was more like in case. Uh, some node was just down, like just plain like down and you know unreachable. But it turned out to be useful for all sorts of reasons. Like a node crashes due to some bug, because like you know there are bugs and you can't always find them all, and or it just you know like runs out of memory or you know some other horrible problem, um, you know, or you just had to restart it because you needed to load new code. Uh, once you have robust kind of load balancing functionality then you can just roll through the processes and restart them all. Now, could you also do this with a HA proxy? Sure, uh, absolutely. You could do this with all kinds of other load balancing schemes. As long as you have the property that if a connection gets interrupted, you have some way of retrying that request on a different node and it will keep working, then you can do restarts with no downtime. Cool. And so for, for that um, incremental deployment scheme, then you, you said that you push out code to one instance and then it's uh, like, do you run traffic through that before yeah. you verify? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We, so, I mean, we, we push it out and we go, okay, well, we're going to pick one and make sure that it works. And, you know, I look at the logs and you know, run some traffic through it explicitly and just say like, okay, is this doing what we want it to do? And, you know, you know, some basic tests. And um, assuming that that works, then we push it out to all the other ones and, and slowly restart them all. Yeah, so I got to I got to ask, um, because I know it's it would be asked uh, and it probably will be when people listen to this. But like so there's this thing that people have been using for telephony for kind of a long time. Oh, yeah. The this, telephone. Uh, the, well, no, that. Yeah. But I mean, this programming language. Um, why didn't you use that one? Oh, um, C? No, 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 Erlang. <laughs> oh, Erlang. Technically <laughs> correct on yeah. C. Playing at Bill Labs. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm Erlang. Yeah. yeah. Um, how come we didn't do Erlang? Um, well, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I looked at Erlang, and it just is so crazy and so, diff- so different that while it may actually be technically superior the fact that it was so different is a pretty big cost, has a pretty big cost associated with it. Like not only do I have to learn another language, but like now if we want to hire more people, like we have to find like Erlang people and or we have to train them. Whereas with JavaScript, there is a wealth of JavaScript knowledge in the world. And granted, people who you know slap jQuery on a web page don't necessarily know how to write server programs, but there is just a a broad base of JavaScript programming knowledge out there, like so much more so than with Erlang. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it's that guy who's slapping jQuery on a web page knows a lot more JavaScript than he does Erlang. That's that's safe to say. 
yeah, <laughs> I think that's also yeah probably irrelevant. But for you know <laughs> for, for all of the people that you know are slapping J, uh, jQuery on a web page, you know there's a whole broad community of you know increasing levels of sophistication uh, of knowledge of JavaScript and even before there was Node, you know, like just JavaScript is such a popular language. There are a lot more people who know it. And so there are a lot more resources available for how you can work with it. And that, I mean, originally that's what, that's what drew me to Node in the first place was not because I, I thought it was the most appropriate thing to do like real-time voice or whatever. It's because I thought JavaScript is a great language and it's obviously gonna get a lot of, uh, it's on a good trajectory with the browser wars. So, but I, I should say something else about about Erlang is that uh, I think I, in the past I've um, uh, maybe uh, been a little critical of of Erlang about just kind of because it looks all crazy. I mean, it does. It is. It looks crazy. Um, but I have recently seen some Erlang wizards go to town on a very large uh, React cluster that we also have now, and. It is amazing. It is so much more sophisticated, I think, than uh, a lot of us Node people give it credit for. I mean, it is an, just an incredibly mature, sophisticated, brilliant system um, that uh, I think, like, I don't know, like, it's got a real image problem, you know, and that's sort of not really not really my problem because it's the first thing I said about it still holds. Like, it's really hard to find Erlang programmers, and because of that, like, I think it. It's it's too bad because it seems like uh, uh, actually a really uh, a neat thing, like a, a really powerful system for building the, this kind, you know, scalable network programs. Like I, it's it really is a good system for building scalable network programs, but boy, it's not very common and therefore hard to hire for. Yeah, it seems like when you have a, a system like that. I mean, I, I've. Uh, you kind of see this in other obscure programming languages, even if they are pretty good at something, um, it sort of creates this, this like wizard problem, you know, where you, if you want to get something done in Erlang, you need to find those Erlang wizards and, you know, they don't want to work at your rinky dink startup like thing. They want to be, you know, building React clusters and doing the more low level, you know, platformy type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one, um, but anyway, I mean, I think it. Like I said before, everything is about trade offs, and like you, you can, you can, you can really see that trade off if you if you learn a lot about Erlang. You think like, wow, how come everybody doesn't use this? Like, it by the numbers, it should be better. But right. it's like this weird thing where like the culture of it makes it lose. Um, or I should say, the culture of it makes it not win, um, since it does, you know, obviously is still used by a lot of things. Whereas the culture of JavaScript, this goofy, scrappy collection of, you know, web programmers and whatever, like JavaScript, uh, you know, like taking this, you know, toy-ish language and doing like real serious work with it, like, I mean, that's like a totally different uh, cultural position, like, <laughs> and. That's the that's the road we went down. Interesting. So, so I want to. You uh, probably built a relatively um, node. Oh, I wish I could hear this question, but the internet is failing us. Dominic, can you type that in the Skype chat? 
We're going to need some high qual- high quality <laughs> editing <yeah>. on this one. <laughs> yeah. I hope we have nonlinear editing technology. Yeah, I think I think Craig's got some uh, some stuff, some fancy fancy really? tools. So he's not yeah, he's not he's, like rolling magnetic tape <laughs> that he'll have to splice no, I don't, with the scissors. I don't think so. I don't okay, great. Think so. <laughs> okay, here we go. So oh yeah yeah. Dominic's yeah. typing this out now. He says you've probably written a relatively Erlang-like structure, although in Node.js. Yeah, I mean, I as I've said before, like I think like the Node community will. Like as it encounters more and more of these real-world problems, slowly, uh, slowly start re-implementing everything that Erlang does, um, only, you know, in JavaScript and all, all JavaScripty like. Um, you know, and this is going to just make like the the hacker news trolling so much better because let me tell you, in five years, Node's going to come out with some awesome feature. That makes it a lot better for doing, uh, you know, scalable network programs, and people are going to be, be able to say, "Well, Erlang had that 25 years ago." I mean, geez, yep. <laughs> and they will be right. <laughs> They'll be right. Yeah. Yep. And it probably <laughs> they they do. <laughs> I mean, boy, I, I got to tell you, I I've seen these guys like these actual wizards, like these actual Erlang wizards, like work their magic, and it is awesome. And of course, now that I've seen it, I'm just like, oh, actually, I could do some of this. <laughs> I should really get to work on this. I don't, I don't even think that you could do that, but some of this I can actually do in, in Node. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a, a very sophisticated system, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think I think we will keep developing, like in in the Node community, we we will keep making it better and easier and and more powerful to write these kinds of scalable things. Will people will get you know like you know like Substack's Dnode, like people start taking stuff like that and and building it into larger things, and they'll probably write all kinds of new different protocols to do uh, you know coordinate lots and lots of Node processes to work on the same problem. Yeah, cool. That's so. Um, I want to take a second and just talk about Bizzler. They're not related to Voxer, as far as I know, but uh, they are in Sydney, and they would like to hire you to work on Node. Um, what what do they do? They sponsor the show. Uh huh. <laughs> only only part of the reason why I'm talking about them. Um, they've they've been good friends of the show, and we very much appreciate it. They are uh, basically they're they're down in Sydney, Australia. They're they're building a platform for um, stuff. They've got a uh, a beta that's coming out, I guess, fairly shortly, where you can sign up. Uh, B i s l r. That's Bravo India Sierra Lima Romeo dot com. And um, if you go to Bizzler dot com slash jobs, you can find out what they have. Um, and yeah, that's about it. It's sunny, and they play table tennis down there and drink beer. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Other than other than possibly uh, legal permission to work there uh, if you're not an Australian citizen. I guess they do that help is, out with that a bit. They, is that right? There's kinda... actually a special visa uh, between the U.S. and Australia that makes that a lot easier than you would think it might be. Oh no, kidding! Countries. Wow. Well, good for the U.S. and Australia. I'm glad at least we sorted out uh, some of those uh, <laughs> international labor disputes. Yeah, so go to Australia, work for Bizzler, do Node stuff if you're stuck in some 
non-Node job. No Node developer, like these days, nobody who wants to work on Node should not be able to. As, as far as I know, there are many, many open positions to, uh, uh, to, to work on Node, if not full-time, almost full-time. Yeah, like some, you might have to deal with some other non-node, you know, computing environment just to integrate with something. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this this kind of brings up another uh, another question that I it's a little bit of a stretch from the from the Voxer thing. I do want to get back to that, but um, so one question that I get asked an awful lot is like, so how do I how do I you know deploy this program? that I wrote in node and um, you know, we, you hear this a lot, especially from uh, you know, ops folks and, and people who are used to deploying a particular, like very reproducible build script that they can, you know, run once and then they get a tarball and they can guarantee that if they run it again, they'll get the same tarball again. Um, and the big complaint is like, well, when I type NPM install, I might get like literally anything, right? Yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Yes. Michael Rogers had a post about exactly that um, here a few days ago. Well, Michael Michael Rogers gets the same question, and he's he's answered this question now. He has answered this question at Yammer. He's answered this question on IRC and in email. And I've been around a few times, and a couple times he's just refused to answer the question. I and mean, I've had to do it. Like, here's the answer. I will tell you. You check your stuff into Git. Like if you're deploying it, Git add node modules, Git commit, you're done. You can still use NPM to update your stuff locally. But what about uh, like binary extensions and things? I mean, there's an NPM command Max, called. Hey. Yeah, so there's an NPM command called NPM rebuild. So you run this in the brute of your program. And it will rebuild all those binary dependencies. It'll walk through them all and rebuild them. So if you checked in the binary, or if you didn't check it in, and so it's not there, you know, whatever, you run npm rebuild, and that will go through and run the. Um, it runs the pre-install, install, and post-install commands. So uh, whatever you know, whatever build process the thing had, it'll go ahead and do that. So whatever your build process is, all it needs to do is check stuff out from Git run npm rebuild, you're done. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't be still using, you know, vague version dependencies as, as specific as they, only as specific as they need to be for libraries and modules and stuff you do that, stuff you do there. But if you check stuff into Git, you can guarantee that you'll always get exactly that code because you're tagging it to a Git shot or a tag or a branch or something like that. So does um, does the rebuild always work? Because I I tried that before with uh, with Redis and it it didn't always rebuild high Redis. Like there's some WAF thing where like it didn't think it had to rebuild it, and so like it would say nope, no need. So if it doesn't think it has to rebuild it, um, probably you need to have a make clean in the uh, in the build script, right? So like the the yeah, default thing, right. if you if you have a the, the default thing that NPM does, if you just have a, a W script in there and you don't specify a build step, it'll say, oh, this looks like a node module. And it will do uh, node WAF clean and then node WAF uh, 
build or whatever it is. I think it just does configure build. So if you have C binding stuff, if you do NPM rebuild, it should definitely work. If it doesn't, then, um, you know, there's a problem. I think high Redis is one of the very, very few that doesn't always work that way. You could probably get around it by just not checking in the, the actual binary itself. I bet we could fix it with the, that make clean thing. But anyway, NPM rebuild I mean, so, sounds like the right answer. Well, I don't, I don't know because, I mean, I can think of a bunch of examples where, say, like thrashing between, like somebody checks in the version of some binary module accidentally that, you know, the .node files and whatnot, and they're on 64-bit and somebody rebuilds, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, that shows up as untracked status on their 32-bit machine or that has different extensions. I don't know. It seems like a tool could come along and make that so that you get a lot of the benefits of like checking in node modules, which is probably the, the good approach right now because that tool doesn't exist. But it seems like these kinds of issues could be fixed with good tooling to like capture the dependency well, that graph. I think that that tool does exist. I think that tool is Git. And I think that all you need to do is put build forward slash in your Git ignore file, and then you're done. You know, another thing that you can do is you can do what we do, which is we do it the, the pre-NPM 1.0 way, which is we just use the node path, and then all the stuff just stays out there because then it's guaranteed never to change. And uh, it only changes when, you, when you're sure you want it to change. Um, and it, I know it's not the cool new way, but it actually fixes all these problems. Well, yeah, it, it avoids some of them. Um, at Joint, we have, uh, this is particularly tricky because we deploy um, basically shrink wrap software. You know, we have, um, we have this smart data center thing and it's got all kinds of node stuff and node programs in there. And um, we, we definitely need to be able to build a, a consistent snapshot of the operating system. Um, and not have things change or break out from under us. So, yeah, it's it's tricky, but it's not the trickiest thing in the world. That high Redis npm rebuild thing, I, I had never heard of that. So, but certainly, I mean, tons and tons of people use Redis, and high Redis makes Redis much much nicer. Yep, I, I bet it's really easy. Probably. So just uh, taking a question from the document here um, for Matt, uh, what modules do you guys actually use at Boxer? And so it, we, it, it turns out that this problem, uh, this whole node modules problem is, is only just barely a thing uh, for us because we use almost no modules, um, which, is, <laughs> <laughs> which is also somewhat controversial, but has end up, ended up paying off big time uh, when we had to ramp things up. And so um, it's all in-house developed software with the exception of we use Redis and we use that everywhere. We lean heavily on that. And one of the big reasons is uh, because I wrote that. And so I know exactly how it works. And so when things are weird, I, I'm the guy to talk to anyway. <laughs> and I think, it, I think you can still yeah. call that in-house if, if the CTO of the company built it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I had a lot of help from from many very nice programmers from around the world who tested it and did bug reports and, and sent pull requests and all this great stuff, totally open sourcing it up. But I mean, the reason that I wrote it is because I wanted to use Redis. And I didn't feel like I really understood the, the at the time, the, the driver that everyone was using. And so I just wrote my own so that I would know how it worked. But um, anyway... Um, so yeah, so so mostly we use Redis. Uh, that's the one module we use, and then there are a couple of others, or maybe there's only one. Um, we use APN, which is this uh, Apple push notification thing. So you know, if you're on iOS, you get these push notifications and people send you a message. We use APN for that, and I think we have like some, so like a couple of like little in-house, you know, internal tools. I think use Express. Um, but I think that's it. The you know the the core is all you know it's it's all just code that we wrote with uh, with with some Redis and the one little thing uses APN. Well, and I mean you know you guys have been using you guys were using Node about I, I think you started about the same time I did. So I mean your stuff definitely predates npm and most stuff on the registry. So not yeah. using a lot of modules kind of isn't too surprising. But I mean, it's not. It's not like we couldn't uh, change that. Like, I mean, it's, it's not. Like, it's not like I didn't. You know, some of it isn't overlapping. But man, it's so. You know, again, again with the trade-offs. But when when you're trying to track down a problem, like when things are acting weird, and you know what all the code is, or at least you know who to talk to. Like if you can say like, oh, okay, I I know exactly who's who knows this, and you can just find that person and say, look, something in between me and you, it's not working right. Like let's figure this out. And I know if it was an open source program, like you could have, you had the source is all there. You could eventually figure it out, but it's something that's mostly all in somebody else's head. And especially when when things are blowing up and you need to fix this quickly, like you might not be able to wait a couple of days to sort of turn this around. And, you know, other people's libraries have, they make trade-offs that you might not be willing to make. Like they're trying to solve a general case problem and maybe you have a, maybe you don't need half of that stuff. So I don't know. You like, know, I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's why I've, I've opted to write most of the stuff that's in NPM for, for very similar reasons. Right. Because, uh, as even though, you know, arguably some of the, some of the modules in NPM are not as good as some of the other ones out there i think my, my flow control library is kind of kind of rudimentary right it's it's sort of crap compared to like all the features you get with like an async or or uh what are some of the other ones seek or step or whatever um sure. but on the other hand i wrote it so i know how it works and if i want to make a change to it i don't need to like run it by anybody or learn anything new yeah, the, the big mean, the big step off there was was using uh, request instead of my own hand rolled HTTP stuff, and uh, you know, I, I I see Michael a lot, so when things don't work, I I just kind of bitch at him, and he makes them work. Yep. Yeah, I go kind of the other extreme, and just I mean, I write a lot of modules myself, but I also use a lot of other people's modules. Like we're, uh, we're using some of Dominic's modules, for instance, for like our output plugins, or we're using Request all over the place because it's awesome. Yeah, I think Request is the big exception for everyone who like writes all their own stuff. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, except for Request, obviously. <laughs> 
obviously. Yeah, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna talk to low level HTTP. I don't know, Voxer probably does, but we we definitely do. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, we we stream everything, and we have like lots of, you know, lots of important decisions that need to be made based on all, almost all of those events. Like, need to be sort of finally, uh, you know, understood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you're you're basically like the the paradigm case of of why Node has such a low level HTTP binding. It's so that you can do stuff like this. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, and there are certainly like we wrote, we have our own thing in a couple of places where we're like, all right, all right, fine. Really, all, all I all I want to know is just give me the actual part. Go ahead and just make it seem like I moved this object from one side to the other. Uh, I don't need to stream anything. I just let me know when an object is there. And and we wrote we wrote that a little bit ourselves as well. And now we know how it all works. Cool. I, you know, it's funny. We talk, the, the subject comes up a lot, and like I, I see like a lot of people who who come to Node and and they 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 are just sort of overwhelmed by how much great software there is that you can use. And you know, lots of people make articles like like what are modules you should know about and 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 all this kind of stuff. And and it's totally great that there's so much good Node software out there. But like, I kind of think like you shouldn't start there. Like I think, like if you start with, I'll just like glue a bunch of software together that I don't understand. Like, I don't know. I don't think you that that you will be well served. I think eventually you will have problems that are insurmountable uh, when when you can tolerate them the least. Like I think it's way better to start with the super low level thing and feel the pain and like see like like just understand how it works and just. Realize, you know, be frustrated enough that you know why it's so good that you can use these higher level things, and then when you move on and you go, oh, okay, great, I can just use requests. This is so much nicer. Um, <laughs> not, not only do you know why it's better, but you also really know what it's doing, you know, behind the scenes. And so, like, if it ever does get weird, you can you can sort of reason about it, and you you'll be able to debug it uh, more easily because you know how what it must be doing. You know, I think um, I, that's a good point. I, I, I think this is something I noticed recently um, that I think a lot of newcomers to Node are, are are a little overwhelmed by how much stuff is is out there, right? That's already been done for you, and they think, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to write this or that library if somebody's already done it. Um, but at the same time, there's a t- sort of tendency to see things as as a black box, you know, and yeah, okay, sure. So all the source is open, but if you've never actually looked at the low-level HTTP binding, then you know you start using request and something doesn't behave the way you think it should. And you know maybe there's an actual bug in request. It would certainly not be the first time. Actually, but actually, it could also be the case that these low-level bindings, if you look into them, don't actually do the thing that you want them to do. Like I had this case with uh, HTTP parsing for my load balancer thing. And for one thing, uh, the HTTP parser doesn't give you thing like uh, HTTP verbs like connect that are used in some kinds of HTTP proxies. And then for an, for another, it's it's got some some limitations that don't let you capture all of the framing, for instance, on uh, multi-part requests. So right, right, exactly. So I mean, if you're looking at it as a black box, well, and it doesn't work, you just kind of take it back to the store and say, like, "Hey, it's broken," and maybe it's working for the guy who wrote it, and he's going to say, "Well, uh, 
I don't know. Works for me. Could you like send me a patch or something? It's, I, I think, I think when you start out by sort of peering into the, peering under the hood, it sometimes is a little bit easier to see these things as, as just solvable problems. Yeah, I think that's that's my big. Uh, that's a great way of of uh, saying it. Like, if it seems like solvable problems, then like maybe maybe you still don't want to solve it, but like it just opens up this. I don't know. It, just, it makes it way more fun for me. Like, if everything yeah, like is, you're going to take the five minutes and look at the source and be like, oh well, there's a bug here. Obviously, right. I see you roughly know. where it is. You know, like it's just so much more fun. And then especially even just when you talk to the people who ultimately have to fix it, like to be able to have an intelligent conversation and like you go like, well, it's it's got to be somewhere in here because I'm doing this and you're sending me back that. And then like you can actually sometimes get to, to the real issue because you're able to have a more intelligent conversation, like. Maybe it turns out the real problem isn't really this bug at all. It's some other thing, and a you know that you are expecting the low level to do. You know, um, it's it's a it's sort of I don't know. I feel like you know crotchety old man, even though I'm not that old, for for saying this. But man, the kids these days in their libraries, uh, the 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 high level abstractions for everything. Like how high can we build it? You know, it's like the I, I worry that we're going to rebuild this sort of, you know, Java Apache, uh, kind of towering levels of, of software that you glue together that nobody really understands ecosystem. Um, and I, yeah, I I've, guess that's, I've never looked at the source code of Apache. Like I used Apache for years. years. I don't mean Apache HTTPD. I mean like the Apache, like software foundation, like all of the other sort of Java, programs that like you do these awesome awesome things you know like hadoop and you know all these different things for writing java programs like you know struts and what have you like when people build programs in java now all they do is glue together a whole bunch of uh, apache projects and they're not even really sure how any of them work and if there are ever problems in any of them they go hmm this is gonna take a long time but if you ever suggest to one of them that they should just, you know, like instead of using Apache HTTP client that they should, I don't know, do some other thing that they actually understand, like it's heresy, you know, like you can't reinvent the wheel, like code reuse, it's the, you know, it's the religion. And I guess that's why I'm, I'm so like vocally outspoken against or about like just do it yourself at the low level because then you know how it works because I, I kind of, you know, I've been in that in that Java world where where nobody knows what they're doing and they're just gluing together high level stuff and patching it around until it seems like it works. Um, and then it's just so much, it's just so much more satisfying to work in a in an environment where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Now we can talk about another thing in the document. Yeah, let's talk about another thing. So we've covered Boxer and modules. Uh, we covered scaling. Sure. Talk about uh, hosting. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. So, can we talk about this yet? We can. Is this we a can, thing? It's a, we can talk about it. Absolutely. All right. So, where are you where are you hosting this this Foxer thing? Well, right now we have a ton of machines at Softlayer. Softlayer is a hosting company that has a cloud product, and also they give you. Uh, you can get uh, bare metal machines, and we have a bunch of bare metal machines, a bunch of them. And it's fine, but every time something goes wrong, um, 
it's really weird. Like it's, it's, you know, they give us very, very good pricing. I mean, they they clearly really want our business and, and the, the, you know, the dollars per computing power that we get from these guys is, is unbeatable. Like it's, it's really, really good value for computing power. But the problem is like, sometimes things don't work right. And it is, it is just really, really hard to figure out what's happening. And so we are in the process of migrating the operation to Joyent. Um, we, you know, we're, we're currently, you know, the, the, the thing that we that I saw the Erlang wizards, um, you know, busting out, uh, the, the deep, deep magic on, um, is trying to figure out why Linux doesn't go as fast as it should be going. We have these, what seem to be really, really powerful Linux machines with, um, you know, really good everything. And for whatever reason, uh, we just cannot extract the performance from the, the the disk subsystem that it seems like we should. And as a result, we have to buy way more computers than it seems like we should. And so it just doesn't. Uh, I don't see any end in sight to this. <laughs> like they they have deployed all of their wizards, and it, Linux isn't going any faster. And so um, we're we're moving to Solaris, where we can actually solve these problems. And plus, it's going to be great because we also, you know, we're, we're, we have a ton of node processes and it's kind of hard to say if you've ever tried to profile a node program, um, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly where it's spending its time. And it's certainly hard to figure out where all your memory is going. But if we're on Solaris, um, those things become a lot easier. Uh, the CPU profiling is still, I mean, it, it's still harder but certainly all the C++ uh, functions will be uh, a lot easier to understand. And uh, I think that uh, the D-Trace guides are going to get better and better uh, inspection of the V8 as it's running. Yeah, and yeah. it's pretty great. So, you know. I mean, you want to talk about, talk about wizards. Boy. Yeah. 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 I, have, I, have been, I have been deeply, uh, deeply humbled by the, the skill level at Joint. I'm, I'm Perhaps one of the worst programmers there. Yeah, I mean, um, you, th- you think you know how computers work, and then like right. you, you meet a Brendan Gregg or a Brian Cantrell, and 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 they're like, oh, huh. I guess like I actually didn't really know how computers <laughs> worked. <laughs> there are all these things I was taking for granted that apparently you guys know. <laughs> Weird. Right. Right. I, the way the way I've usually told people is like when I when I talk to Brendan or or or, uh, or Brian about computers, I kind of feel like how I imagine my mother feels when she talks to me about computers. Yeah. You know, like, Hmm, you mean there's more to it than I push the button and the email comes out. (laughs) Exactly. Well, isn't that something? Yeah. How about that? So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Like it's going to take a while to get everything over there, but we're, we're slowly starting to move um, some stuff over there. And I I think it's going to be great. That's going to be uh it's going to be great to have um, this really, really large uh, node deployment, um, sort of running at in the the home of Node, you know, where the the sort of the the core sort of emanates from Joint at the moment, and uh, it will be great to have uh, to have that kind of expertise able to sort of you know see what this big cluster is doing and be able to make Node better. Like not only make our thing work better, but as the result should be uh, that Node becomes way better 
because we'll be able to kind of tune it and analyze it under, uh, you know, the best possible conditions. So, well, yeah, and that's, good. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I, I, as, as a, as a node, you know, guy and as a, as a joint employee, I think that like having Voxer there is really going to be an interesting sort of, uh, uh, science experiment. Um, as well as obviously, you know, good for everybody who wants to talk on their phones to their friends. It's a walkie talkie or whatever, like, you know, and, and for you and your business and so on, but having, uh, having a, a node deployment of this scale to just sort of like watch and poke at and like sort of see how things work is, is really, really exciting. I think it's going to open up a lot of doors for, uh, doing some really creative, creative developments in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be great for Node. I, it's just it's a, there are a bunch of these problems that like a bunch of like this uncertainty. Like people are like, well, I don't know, this Node thing doesn't seem like you know it's really been proven out. Like we're going to prove it out. <laughs> like we're we're actively proving it out every day that goes by. And once we get it all kind of in in place on Joint, I think it's just going to be, you know, it's just going to be obvious. Like like we'll just have the data. Like, yes, it is. It does work. Look at this. Yep. So, um, boy, so, this hey, is... Hey, let, let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. What, uh, what are the other really big uh, deployments of Node? Like, what, what other, really like... Big deployments of Node? Um, there's, a, there's a few. So, we've got this... Uh, uh, eBay just did some thing recently called uh ql.io uh that's like i haven't you know i'm sort of embarrassed i haven't looked into it too deeply but uh i know i know actually some of the people involved with it from um from their there and my yahoo days and it, it looks a little bit like uh like the um yql type system okay but um which is kind of like sql for the web but instead of being, um, it's like SQL the the language, not SQL the relational set theory based sure, database sure. system. Um, and then it would actually go out and do you know make HTTP requests and gather collate JSON data together and give you all the fields that you select. Um, and it's it's basically doing a lot of that stuff and doing it in a, a very very general way such that you can set up a feed which goes to a bunch of different web services and then sort of fold these into one feed that is cached and always up to date and, and just nice and edge edge served and all that jazz. Um, so they're using Node for a lot of that type of stuff. Uh, LinkedIn it does a bunch of their mobile stuff using, uh, using Node. There's uh, uh, obviously Microsoft has been sort of doing Microsoft things with and to Node, uh, which is which is really good for all the people who use Windows still. Still. Because <laughs> as you know, there are only a few left. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. My okay. So my, my chauvinism is showing I, I shouldn't I shouldn't do that. Um, no, no, no. People there there are actually quite a few people who actually do like Windows. And I've I've used it uh, a little bit that the Windows implementation of node runs really really well um I, i've been really impressed with that i was very skeptical at the beginning as far as how well this would turn out and it's it's been really really impressive 
No, I mean, especially did, looking at you did a native port, like you, did, you didn't try to cheat and do like you know Sigwin or whatever. Like you did it. Yeah, no, we did not bundle it with MinW. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's a Windows program. It runs on yeah. Windows, and Absolutely. and Microsoft's really really excited about that. Yeah, you have like a installer. You got the whole thing going on there. Like graphics yeah. up when your wizard runs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean these these guys it's crazy like there's you know these these guys really really know a lot about windows there's a lot to it it's just so it's like being on the moon man yeah they, so so what what else what, what other different. big what other big uh, deployments are there there's so yahoo people keep saying yahoo does yahoo use node yahoo does use node and nothing that yahoo does is small um they do you, uh do you have any that? specifics do you have any specifics when you're from your old uh, yahoo friends about what they're i mean can you can you talk about it like what are they doing? So I've, I think the exciting thing there is that they're building a. Um, hold on, I, I actually have a link to this thing. Let me see if I can put it in some kind of show notes or something. I heard that uh, David Trejo is actually doing some some show notes stuff, so that might be a lot better um, for this show than it was for. It has been for previous shows. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so this uh, Yahoo Manhattan is what it's called. I, I mm. was flubbing on the name. I needed to uh, look it up. So they're doing this thing where they can – they have like this, uh, this system called Mojito, which is like a, um, like, a CM, like a module website thing. And then they push all that stuff out to all different places, and it goes through different um, – template engines and stuff like that. The, the YUI team, however, has been using Node quite a bit for quite a while. Um, oddly enough, very shortly after I left the YUI team, they, they started using it for a bunch of stuff. And so it's, it's kind of powering their, their builds and um, a bunch of their, their server-side stuff that like concatenates scripts together and does all these things that you have to do when you're a right, huge, right. huge company serving bajillions of website views per day. Well, so Nojitsu has 460 servers. There's like, wow. like re real servers or that's like, like virtual virtualized servers. Either way, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea about that things. a few days ago. So that's really cool. I just remember that. Yeah, that's a ton. Yeah. They're growing, growing quick. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I guess like, you know, in spite of uh, no, uh, I don't know, maybe the reputation is not uh, is not that deserved anymore. Like maybe maybe <laughs> Node Node is getting enough uh, enough traction, enough respect that um, I don't know. I, I, st I still get a lot of kind of quizzical looks when I tell people that we're using Node. They're like, "Oh, really? You're one of those people." Um, like it, se it seems like there's there's still like some kind of uh, some cultural resistance, but um, you know, progress is being some, made. Some portions, yeah, I guess. You know, I think I think we we burned a little bit of goodwill early on, and and which is the time to burn goodwill uh, by you know just kind of changing things somewhat, not not capriciously, but without warning. You know, oh, you the, remember, the API changes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The API, yeah. Like, you Absolutely. remember, like, 0.0 and 0 0.1. I, there was one day Ryan 
push some some change that swapped out promises for callbacks in yeah just every one day file and node. one day <laughs> nothing, and he, nothing he, like, worked anymore IRC, like after that after the cia thing scrolled by it was like well broke all the nodes you know that's uh that's the kind of stuff you do when you're a 0.0 or 0.1 type project but so far, I mean, we've been trying to keep the API really, really stable. I mean, even even between 0.4 and 0.6, there were a few changes, but not not anything super drastic. Um, you guys recently upgraded to to 0.6, right? What was the what was your experience about it? Was there a lot of hassle involved with that, or? Um, well, it's funny. We um we were under a lot of cpu pressure and we were not able to get enough new computers quickly enough and one thing that i have observed when doing redis benchmarking is that uh, going from node 04 to 06 is between two and ten times faster on, wow. on just about everything uh, there, there was one of my one of my tests ran the same speed sometimes, and sometimes a little bit slower. But basically, the the new V8 is so much better. I figure all that uh, libuv stuff has got to be there's got to be some cost to that. Like that's got to make it go a little bit slower. Um, but to to uh, to cancel that effect out, uh, V8 has just gotten better and better. And so we did a kind of uh, daring upgrade from zero uh, four to zero six. Um, to see if it would give us, see if it would go faster, and it did. Um, it goes about twice as fast for our application, which was wow. great. <laughs> yes, and that's and that's primarily for a for a CPU bound application, or was this? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, if you're using, if it's doing work, if it's doing work in in JavaScript, then I'm, so, I'm not you know computing Fibonacci or whatever, like. Um, you know, just really simple stuff, parsing JSON and looking up, looking into some things and, you know, making proxying HTTP around, uh, is mostly what we do. And still, uh, all of just all of that logic, the minimal logic that it is still runs about twice as fast in, um, zero six. So that was good. We found some problems, um, as well, but, uh, we fixed them pretty quickly so yeah uh, we're all we're we're running 0.6 now it's pretty great awesome so um you know the best thing about the best thing about this show is the flow it's so natural it's like we're all sitting in the same room we're just having a couple of beers uh we're just joking around (laughs) it's just it effortlessly glides from one topic to the other no with no awkward pauses to wait for packets to drift around the world none of that right i agree i guess i added a, a couple of projects to the show notes here um my crazy mad science experiment for doing continuous git deploys uh sort of works it's definitely not something you should be using quite yet but it's really fun because it's a HTTP git deploy server and it's tied into the HTTP load balancer, HTTP router thing that I wrote called Bouncy. And so it's really fun because you can get push to this service and it's just over HTTP. And then it brings up your process on a subdomain automatically. And the subdomain is just the commit hash too. So 
I still have to build like the aliasing stuff, but this is going to be really fun because it it lets you do things like uh, feature management and and do these kinds of um, incremental rollouts that Matt was talking about, where you can like, okay, I want it on one server. Okay, now that that seems to work, we can automatically roll that out to like four servers and then maybe you know ten servers or whatever. So nice and. Uh, and Dominic, who's been sort of on sketchy internet, um, has a similar project called Balancer that's all about doing the same sorts of things. I think he's got a lot more done on the kind of admin management side of it um, than I have. I've been mostly focused on the Git and the HTTP routing so far with my project, but it seems like a lot of people are doing these, are, are basically building the same software. Uh, for their own particular stacks. I mean, like the Facebooks and the Googles and I guess the Voxers now are all building this these really sophisticated stacks that let you sort of do incremental deployments and awesome continuous integration stuff. But that's really not available to like a scrappy startup right now that has maybe two or three people in it. And that's definitely something that I would like to see happen more because it seems like continuous deployment is such an important thing to be doing that we should definitely be making that easier so people, you know, write tests and can roll back really easily with zero downtime. Interesting. And I guess one thing I'd like to see too is uh is like big hosting companies like like the giants of the world uh start to have stuff like this. I mean, you guys already have a few things like with no.de, especially with Git deploys that are along these lines. But mm. yeah, yeah, we've got some we've got some things along those lines for sure. I think uh, you, you know they definitely shine a lot more with Joint. Uh, definitely shines a lot more with stuff like at, at the uh, at the higher end of the scale. I found. At least that's what I've been. Uh, that's what I've been told. So yeah, we're we're uh, we're super excited about Boxer. Right, so does Joint have any sort of uh, like is is no de kind of like? I mean, when pe people come and they go, hey, like Node's pretty cool. Like, oh, Joint's got it. Is no de like like oh, but what about like deployment and how do I scale it and manage it and all that stuff? Like, um, like are, are you guys. Do you guys have some kind of like answer for that, or is it sort of like just too early to uh, to have that stuff worked out yet? Well, uh, to just a just a quick disclaimer, I'm I don't work in marketing. I'm an engineer, and I'm going to probably mess up some of this. But the the I think the basic premise is that like no.de is for you know, developers to try out Node and to have somewhere to push some things that they're working on when they're sort of in development. And um, we have a variety of options for stuff when you need real hosting. And those cost money. I gotcha. Well, that makes sense. So, like, yeah. you know, if you are trying, like, it's, if, once you start to have those real problems, then you need to, like, have another discussion. Right, right, exactly. So one, you know, one thing that does kind of come up is people are like, this is, I mean, this is just a general societal thing too, right? Where you, you give something away for free and you say, okay, I've got, I'll give you a, a tiny amount of space. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. 
but um, this is all you're getting for free. And people tend to do one of two things. They either, well, sorry, people tend to do one of three things. The first thing is they use it and they find out interesting stuff and then they either get rid of it or they move on to a different thing. And it's kind of their little playground to try out ideas. And that's great. You know, that's like, that's awesome. Then there's a, a minority that do either they uh, try to grab as much free space as they can and they never ever do anything with it. And then when you say, hey, I, I'm going to need that back, they get really, really upset with you. Or um, they run a successful business on the free thing and, you know, okay, they only need a small amount. That's fine. You know, be successful. That's great. And they say, yeah, so I'm going to need you to, like, could you give me more RAM and give me more CPU and also I need like this custom domain name pointed at it. And no, I'd, I'm really not interested in paying you anymore. Uh, I think this is great exposure for, for your business. So you should just give it to me for free. And uh, a lot of times they're, they're, the responsible way to respond to that is to just say no, like that's no, you can, you can give us some money because this is our job. And that's also great exposure for us, <laughs> you know, so there you go. I don't know. I think uh, I, I think hosting is hosting is a complicated problem. It really does depend on what sort of problem you're you're solving with your site. Yeah. As far as other large uh, large node installations, I mean, I, I really think uh, I think Boxer is definitely the biggest one out there. But per, we, we will probably there, see others. There are uh, others uh, uh, sort of cooking up right now, and also I, I assume it matters it depends on how you measure bigness you know number of users or number of servers or whatever like yeah i, I bet you some people are cooking up some stuff right now that uh, is bigger in in many ways right right oh and another uh can't believe i forgot this one but uh yammer uses node like crazy they um and they they're they're kind of an interesting one because they're back to that question of how do you measure bigness you know they have uh they have a bunch of different clients and their clients don't like their customers don't see each other, but each one of them is pretty big. And so, and they have a bunch of them, you know, cause they do the whole, like, like Facebook for one company. Sure. So anyway, it sounds like we're sort of winding down and, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm getting a little sleepy cause this is well past my bedtime. How about you guys? I just woke up a, few hours ago so oh okay wow <laughs> so yeah this morning this is like, <laughs> <laughs> so like all those other times when we're you know trying to get you up for for a noon show you're this is this is actually perfect for you this is yeah, on Substack time i'm awake time <laughs> you're, you're ready to go <laughs> nice yeah and so i guess we can close out the show and do plugs and things and tell people to subscribe and follow the note up account on twitter and all that fun stuff Yes, follow Node Up on Twitter. Follow Node.js on Twitter, too, as we retweet each other. So, have a good night. Thanks. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Yeah.